I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. And thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman. Today, we're going to talk about addiction and recovery with Aspire Addiction Recovery Centers. In fact, we have the CEO and operational director in the studio with us today, Craig Wing. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. This is really going to be insightful for our audience. Some of the ideas and concept new, but so important for us to get a greater understanding. Also joining us is the clinical director. His name is Guru Prasad Singh. And you said it's okay if I refer to you as GPS. That's what people call me. Isn't that great? But a Guru Prasad Singh. Let's talk about the background of Aspire Recovery, uh, Addiction Recovery Center. So tell me, number one, where the word Aspire came from and how that helps us understand the goals of the center. We wanted a positive name, and we wanted something that gave people hope. Uh, Our foundation is established in hope. And we looked at a lot of names, and we concentrated on two or three, uh, and Aspire just kept jumping out. Uh, Aspire was something that was comfortable with the three owners, the, and it was comfortable with the people we'd put together as uh, a group that gave us direction. So it was voted on, and it was uh, unanimous. It's interesting because uh, those of us who work, and you in particular, closely with those who are struggling with addiction, mm-hmm. having hope, yes. having aspirations, yes. often they're at the point where they no longer have beliefs in themselves, mm-hmm. and they've lost the ability to even aspire to normalcy, let, let alone that beautiful life that other people may take for granted, which is in the reach. So we're going to talk a little bit about how you focus on the soul Mm -hmm. and on the whole Mm -hmm. person in your center. Our clinical director, as I mentioned, Guru Prasad Singh, the clinical director, tell me about what the center provides in terms of services. So we're a 28-day residential, excuse me, Mm -hmm. I'll start again. We're a 28-day residential treatment program for substance abuse and chemical dependency. So the clients are living there for at least 28 days. Uh, While they're at the facility, they're engaged in programming. Uh, Every day of the week, there's programming for them. Some of the programming includes education. A lot of it includes therapy and what I call body-based therapies. Uh, and they get a lot of one-to-one contact with counselors and therapists. All right. And and I was reading, doing a little research, and it looked like some of that programming was four to five hours a day. That's right. And so that's intensive, and that's important. And talk to me about why it's so important for you to have a comprehensive approach. Craig, do you? I. There are two reasons. Mm-hmm. One is that people that suffer from addiction uh, need to have a very uh, uh, scheduled day. 
they need to concentrate on getting well. And you don't want a lot of downtime. Uh, you want downtime for them to be able to intellectualize and internalize what's being taught, but you don't want anybody just sitting around. So it's important to program the day. But frankly, uh, even though you can stay longer at Aspire, two to three months, if you only have 28 days, you have a lot of content to get through. There's a lot of things to teach. There's a lot of things to absorb and to reteach if, in case they didn't get it the first time around. So it's a, it's, it's a very uh, uh, substantial uh, program. For me, I think what was striking is I learned and studied um, the background and the programs that Aspire Addiction Recovery Centers is that typically uh, we talk about chemical addiction. Mm-hmm. We talk about how when someone begins – uh, to become addicted to a substance, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. There right. are changes in the neural pathways of the brain, mm-hmm. and we're working on trying to remove the chemical addiction. Yes. You actually are looking at beyond that, all the other ways and triggers and, and ways for us to be healthy. So that's my explanation. It's, it's pretty weak. So let's talk a bit about what we need to know in order for us to fully recover from addiction besides understanding we just need, we don't just need to remove the chemical from our body. Sure. So yeah, the first thing to understand is that addiction is a really complex thing. And it includes, uh, there are fact, physical factors, there are mental health factors, motivational factors and system factors, including the, the, the place where the client has come from, their family, their community, their culture. So all of these things have to be taken into consideration when you treat somebody. And you, there is no such thing as one-size-fits-all therapy. You've got to really tailor the therapy to the individual. And that's one of the things that I'm so appreciative um, about in, in, in doing this program with Craig and, and the other uh, owners and, and uh, facilitators is that we are really trying to look at the person as an individual and find the approach for that individual that's going to work. And it's complex, but it's also fascinating and really exciting when you really make a connection with somebody and they realize for the first time in their lives that they have control of themselves and and their and their life actually that they can take charge of their own life. This is not a 12-step program. It is not. Tell me about that. Why this is an alternative to the typical 12-day or 12-step. We have great respect for the 12-step program and for those that it's helped, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. it's been incredible. And I guess I'm to blame a little bit as it relates to that because my I have a history in addiction. And uh, many years. And I uh, was sent to programs. I went to programs and I found that I didn't thrive in particular types of programs. Some did. And God bless them for that. But in my particular case, I I struggled. And uh, there were numerous people in my group that were having the same challenges and struggles. So we moved a little bit away from that particular sole approach and we developed our own. That's very powerful to, mm-hmm. to hear. And um, I am familiar a bit with the 12-step. Mm-hmm. And, and we hear over and over again, I am powerless over, you know, that there's mm-hmm. a higher power. Mm-hmm. And yet I just heard GPS, our guru, say mm-hmm. it's very exciting for someone going through mm-hmm. recovery to find out that they do have power and they have the ability. So there's a mindset. Right. Talk to me about what are some of the experiences someone who's working towards recovery 
will have at the center to help them right. reframe the way they look at their life and the way they look at their addiction. Sure. So one of the first things that we want a client to understand is that the reason they feel powerless coming in is because the drug has changed the way their brain functions, the way their nervous system functions, the way their glands function, actually. And there's a lot of amazing new research that's coming out in addiction medicine that shows exactly how the drugs take over your system physically. So that, that sense of powerlessness is real in a sense because as long as the person's brain is not functioning normally, they can't really make good decisions for themselves, right? So addiction isn't about laziness. It's not about a character flaw. Uh, at core, it's about the fact that the person's system has been taken over by a substance. So the first thing that we do is help them clear the substance from their system, and then we use these body-based techniques to help them return their system to normal functioning. Once they start to feel normal physically, their head clears, and they can take in a lot more information, and they start to get excited about the possibility of their life again. I feel um, pretty naive in that I've not heard the term body-based yeah. approach. Mm -hmm. Craig, why did that speak to you? And I appreciate you sharing that addiction has been in your history. It's yes. been in all of our family mm -hmm. histories. Yes. Right? Isn't it's it? It's very personal us? to me, uh, clearly. But uh, uh, one thing I did learn in the journey that I've been on is the power of the physical addiction, too. And uh, emotional and mental is obvious. But there, there are things that change physically. And I'm not a clinician so I'm not going to speak to those deeply, but I knew them to be true and felt them to be true in my experience. And I knew that there was a physiological aspect to my addiction that I needed to be, that needed to be addressed. And once that was done, I, I thrived and uh, I, I did much better. And so I wanted to delve into that in a new approach and make sure that we address that. And you'll start to see in addiction medicine as GPS, uh, I, I've been to some seminars of late where even some of the state workers that have been doing things the same way for many, many years are starting to move towards embodiment and working on the physical nature and, and yoga and uh, uh, the, the physiological response to addiction. Uh, it, it's happening in programs even that have been around, uh, you know, and stayed the same for many, many years. And, and yet you can almost say, and for those who have just joined us, that is Craig Wing. He's the CEO and the operational director of Aspire Addiction Recovery Center. Also joining us in studio is Guru, Guru Prasad Singh. You'll hear us refer to him as GPS, this body-based Tell, tell me a little bit more about that, the physiological knowledge right. of how our body is changing and how we can reverse that through, I mean, we say yoga, and that's, mm -hmm. is yeah. that not a Middle Eastern practice mm -hmm. that has just been in the last 20 years starting mm -hmm. to be mainstream? Yeah, right? absolutely. So yeah, there are these old technologies that come to us from other cultures uh, who have known for a long time that the way to affect really deep change in an individual is to give them ways of taking charge of their mind and their body through specific body practices. Yoga is one of those. Um, there's also uh, meditation. Um, there's a Chinese form of yoga that we also teach at the center called Qigong. Um, so one of the things that you can't do with somebody who's addicted to a substance is you can't talk them into health. 
You can't talk to them about getting healthy because the part of the brain that you're talking to actually isn't in charge of the addiction. There are other parts of the brain that are in charge of the addiction that need to be reached, and they can't be reached through language. They can't be reached through reason. They have to be reached through the body. So what we, what, one of the things that we do at the center is we work with a specific form of yoga that combines breath patterns with movement patterns while teaching people to hold the mental focus. Uh, these classes are some of the most popular in our program. People feel an immediate effect. Literally within minutes of starting to do these practices, they start to feel and experience themselves differently. The reason for that is because you're, you're reaching the part of the brain that has been affected by the chemical, and you're teaching that part of the brain to heal itself. Once the brain starts to learn how to heal itself, the person then is able to talk to you reasonably and logically about why, why they need to stop doing what they're doing. But until the brain has been, has been um, uh, changed or worked with, it's, you know, with one part of themselves, they know exactly why they need to stop, but it doesn't matter because there's this other part of the brain that is that continues to drive them towards the drug. That's interesting for me to hear because I've, I've heard the parallel uh, with yoga um, mm-hmm. before that the world is a very noisy place mm-hmm. and our brain is a very noisy place, mm-hmm. especially when it's not well. Exactly. Lots of things going on, <clears throat> lots of thoughts processing. And that yoga allows, if you kind of use the radio parallel, mm-hmm. for you to move the knobs and to tune in mm-hmm. into that clearer signal mm-hmm. of your thoughts. And you've described that quite beautifully mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. help the the addictive person that's a be great analogy to tune in yeah. to what they need to so yoga these also these patterns that you begin because originally you said this is a 20 typically a 28 day mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. Are, are we encouraging then that individual to continue to practice these body um you know, uh, these, yeah, these practices. These, yeah, these. in order to continue to feel that sense mm-hmm. of mental clarity and health. Right. I do believe that uh, you've touched on probably one of the most important uh, aspects of of any rehab. Uh, I went to a program, and I went to a program that I considered to be very successful. It was a good program, good people teaching good things. But when I left, no one called to even see if I got on the airplane. Uh, aftercare is a word that's come on in the last few years that has become incredibly important. Uh, 28 days is just that, 28 days. There's a lot to learn. It's a lot packed into those 28 days. You can turn people's head and you can start them on a new road. But it's when they land uh, after the program that is critical. And so often people are discharged from programs and they're in the community and they really don't know what to do. So we have established an aftercare program that is every bit as important as the the days they spend on an, on a residential side. We have a coordinator with the staff that uh, makes sure that they are met with in the first week of the program so that they know where they're going, their goals personally, their goals emotionally, what they want their life to look like in the next few years. And we hold them to those goals through our coordinator and calling them literally daily uh, when they get out. They have a schedule as intense when they get out as they did when they were in. They have to get back in school. They have to get Pell Grants done. They have to get jobs. They have to find uh, housing. 
we assist in all of that, and we work with groups to make sure that they're touched on a regular basis and they don't just fall off the map, so to speak. And that's as long as needed, and that can be quite a while. Uh, we, we don't say how many days or how many weeks that is, but we stay in their life until they're stable, and, uh, and we communicate with them, even if it's just a phone call uh, to someone that says, I'm struggling a little bit. Can you? I'd like to talk. Um, they have the opportunity to do that. And, so, and you our, don't use the term addict, do you? An alcoholic? No. no. Tell um, me, tell me why we're not using those terms. Well, I I have a very strong opinion of that, uh, and I think it's uh, it's getting more well. Um, well, others are seeing the same thing. We have had a tendency to bastardize those names, if mm-hmm. for lack of a better definition, over the years, and uh, those are just labels that have been put on people uh, that have this particular affliction, uh, this particular disability. Uh, And sometimes it has a negative connotation, and we don't want people to refer to themselves or refer to their loved ones in any any manner that could be negative or have a negative connotation. So we stay away from those labels, and uh, we talk about people suffering from addiction and suffering from alcohol. Uh, disabilities and and, and it, it it's just a smoother and and, well, and more, it seems to me a more humane yeah. reference yeah. rather than a an, a noun. You right. are a person yes. who's experiencing right. this as a part of your life. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. For those who just joined us again, we're talking to the CEO Operational Director of Aspire Addiction Recovery Center. Craig Wing, also the Clinical Director, Guru Prasad Singh, is joining us. And this is a full-service residential program. You talked about the four to five hours a day of, of different experiences that are body-based to mm-hmm. help those who are struggling with addiction be able to get centered, right. to be able to feel that sense of control, yeah. to help their bodies and their minds and yeah. their emotions. What type of, of, of therapies are available for the emotional and the psychological struggles right. that someone may have? Yeah. So every client receives uh, uh, <clears throat> several hours of psychotherapy every week. We have... Uh, individual psychotherapy sessions, group therapy sessions, family therapy sessions. And in the psychotherapy, we can really tailor even more so the information that we are giving to the client to their specific situation. Um, Again, though, I should say the kind of therapy we do, even when it's done under the auspices of psychotherapy, tends to be body-based. So there are psychotherapies now that work with the person's psychology through their physical body. And so we continue that process in their therapy sessions. Would that be, um, for example, the craniosacral therapy? Would that be part of that process? Mm-hmm. Craniosacral mm-hmm. therapy is definitely one of those. And it's that's a really amazingly powerful um, form of therapy that people do on a table with the therapist. Um, and also, when I'm doing, quote-unquote, talk therapy with people, I'm constantly directing them to their physical experience. A lot of these folks have lost touch, for example, with what they feel and how they know that they're feeling something. But where do feelings register in the body? So we work with those areas in the body where the emotion is experienced, and we use the body to actually work through that particular emotion or that particular issue. Talk to me about uh, nature therapy, because it seems to me that for most of us, when we are out in the 
and the beautiful place of Utah, my goodness, right. that there is a sense of immediate centering and mm-hmm. peace that can come mm-hmm. our way. Yeah. So that's also one of your Well, and there's strategies. a lot of research now that's mm-hmm. coming out about the benefits of being out in nature and w- just the simple act of walking in nature. And <clears throat> you're right, in Utah, we have this added benefit of these beautiful places that we can take people to. Um, and we use the nature as a way of helping people kind of create a framework for where they are in their life and where they want to go to. So there's the relaxation element of just walking in a natural setting and following your own natural walking rhythm as you're, as you're going with the group. But there's also this, the element of really looking and observing what is happening in the, in the environment around you and using that as a way to connect with, again, who you are, your deepest dreams and aspirations, your goals in life, uh, how you feel about yourself. And uh, go ahead, Craig. Oh, I may add, uh, just this morning, um, I was talking to one of our clients. We refer to them as clients, not patients. Thank you. And uh, he was telling me about one of his um, walks, and he had a significant heroin uh, uh, addiction, and he was telling me that uh, for the first time in he can, for many many years, he sees leaves. He sees leaves on the trees, mm-hmm. and um, it it is brand new to his memory. I'm sure he saw them years ago, but it's been a long time. He sees grass on the ground, and he sees rocks, and he sees individual um, aspects of nature that he, that we actually call attention to. But over time, they start to see it themselves and emotionally benefit by by drilling down in life. It seems so powerful for me. Mm-hmm. One of the thoughts I had is you talked about the 28-day residential treatment program mm-hmm. and then the aftercare, yes. which is sustained for uh, as needed um, right. uh, for the patient, uh, the client who has been in Aspire Addiction Recovery Center. What about the family support system? Because that seems to be, as you mentioned, when someone returns back into a home setting or that, often the family does not know the healthy way to support that person. So is there information or guidance that's provided by the center for family members who want to uh, continue to provide to the best of their ability the support that you're providing? Yeah. So we do have a pre-care component where we invite families and interested clients to the center to talk to them about our program. One of the things that we do talk about in that pre-care meeting is how to talk to somebody who has an addiction, right? So one of the worst, again, one of the worst things you can do with somebody who has an addiction is to try to talk them out of it. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of family members end up doing, and they end up wasting a lot of time. So we work with families on language, how to put things into language that the that their loved one will understand or respond to better. Uh, quite honestly, a lot of it has to do with boundary setting and letting the person know what they can live with and what they can't live with, what they can support and what they can't. And then during the program, we do these family therapy sessions where we follow up on that. And we try to help the family members get really clear about the role that they can realistically play with the person once they've left the center. Uh, And then we always recommend continued family therapy afterwards. 
These are people who have burned out a lot of their relationships, and uh, they have been estranged from their family for many years because they have let their family down, so to speak. Um, They have uh, abused in many ways that particular love relationship, and families are so emotionally invested in their family members, it's very hard for them to respond in kind or appropriately or set boundaries uh, is is a huge one. And it really is uh, varying levels of reparation with the family, trying to get them to trust again and trying to get them to understand that there is hope for this individual and they're on a track that is very positive and that uh, continued boundaries are very effective and very essential but in but they truly are making this effort and they are moving in a very positive direction and that's um, that's a as i said varying on varying it's different based on different people. But uh, some of them really repair their relationships to a large degree. And uh, we have a birthday this weekend. And and we have uh, how many uh, acting that would like to come to visit? Uh, many. Yeah. And yeah. that's uh, that's a wonderful response and support system. And we're very proud of that. So the family's coming back to support this individual. Yeah. I, f- I appreciate that much. I can't believe that the time is run out because it's been so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, Craig, thank you so much for not only sharing from your personal experience, but for supporting such an, a creative mm-hmm. a recovery center for our community that we're hearing so much more about addiction mm-hmm. and the truth of it and that it is in our families. Mm-hmm. Almost every home has someone who is struggling with it in some form or another, mm-hmm. whether it be heroin, whether it be methamphetamine, whether it be prescription medical medicine, whether it be alcohol, whatever it may be, it's it's part of our, our life experience and mm-hmm. we need more supportive mm-hmm. systems. Um, Guru Prasad Singh, if someone wants to reach out to Aspire Addiction Recovery Center and say and find out, is this appropriate for my loved one? Is it appropriate for me? What is the best way for them to get through that front door or to learn more mm-hmm. about Aspire? Call us. Okay. Just call us. The number's on our website. And I've got that website as uh, www.aspire.rehab. Mm-hmm. Is that That's right? it. Yeah. Okay. It's a new uh, dot .rehab is a brand new... Uh, HTML? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, all right, and I'm we'll re- take it from there. Just give us a call or, or write in through the uh, website, either one. The number is 801-973-7400. 973-7400. That's correct. 973-7400. If you're driving in the car, again, it's Aspire. So it's uh, aspire.rehab. Um, bring your questions. Um, find out what kind of support may be there for you. And I'm going to leave this... Um, the goal of Aspire, you said, is to give hope to those struggling with addiction, but to also give hope to family members of loved ones struggling with addiction Absolutely. as well. GPS Guru Prasad Singh, Clinical Director, thank you so much for joining us thank you. today. And CEO Operational Director Craig Wing, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. On this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum.